Chapter Fourteen of Benjamin Franklin by Robin McCown. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. France falls in love with an American. The carriage was a miserable one. Franklin wrote of the trip from Auray to the French town of Nantes, where the reprisal would have brought them had it not been for the two prizes with tired horses the evening dark scarce a traveller but ourselves on the road and to make it more comfortable the driver stopped near a wood we were to pass through to tell us that a gang of eighteen robbers infested that wood who but two weeks ago had murdered some travellers on that very spot the nonce town people were expecting the celebrated american and were waiting to greet him as he descended from his carriage instead of a curled and powdered wig he wore a fur cap over his thin grey straight hair which he had adopted on shipboard for reasons of comfort his costume was of brown homespun worsted with white stockings and buckled shoes he wore spectacles because at seventy vanity was less important to him than seeing clearly he carried a plain crabtree cane such as any man could have cut for himself a primitive people exclaimed his simple attire delighted them all for his next few days in nantes he stayed with a commercial agent monsieur gruet a string of visitors appeared afternoon and evenings to pay their respects he spoke little knowing his french was imperfect and his silence made him seem all the wiser everyone was filled with admiration the women of the town paid him their greatest tribute in a coiffure a la franklin dressing their hair in a high curly mass to resemble his fur cap his welcome at nantes was only a preview of what attended him in paris his printer barbeau du bourg had prepared the populace by distributing circulars about his visit for two days before his arrival he was the sole subject of conversation in paris cafes wherever he went admiring citizens surrounded him remarking on the simplicity of his costume and his unaffected manners silas dean who had received no such attention on his arrival was amazed but then dean had little love for the french people had made no effort to learn their language and was obviously unhappy in this foreign environment from dean franklin learned of a plan already under way to help america a dummy exporting house had been set up under the name of hortelais and company to which the french and spanish governments had each contributed a million livres the livres replaced by the franc in modern french currency when dean had reached paris a few months before authorized to buy supplies foreign minister vergen had promptly sent him to the head of hortelais a dashing adventurer named caron de beaumarchais who would later become known for his librettos of the marriage of figaro and the barber of seville the company was now arranging to send arms and ammunition uniforms everything the colonies needed since this was dean's project franklin did not interfere later when americans found they were receiving inferior goods from hortelais when congress was billed for what they were told was a gift when beaumarchais unaccountably became wealthy and even dean was accused of dishonesty he may have wished that he had kept a closer check for the moment he had plenty of other work to do silas dean as well as arthur lee the third commissioner 
both gave him advice on how to conduct himself dean a blunt and tactless man was all for forcing the issue with france arthur lee who had an intriguing nature advocated a devious approach franklin listened attentively to both of them and went his own way on december twenty eighth he and dean were received at versailles by vergennes of whom franklin had already heard so much as usual he wore his brown worsted suit and his head was bare with no wig to hide his grey locks though he did a little more than transmit expressions of goodwill and gratitude from his country the suave and polished french diplomat summed him up as a great and good man henceforth whenever possible vergen avoided dealing with any american other than benjamin franklin the next night he attended a soiree held by madame la marquise du defend her guests were the most important personages in europe the marquise was known to be strongly pro-british everyone expected that monsieur franklin from philadelphia would be put in his place how could he compete in this brilliant company he was much too clever to try all evening he sat quietly smiling waiting for others to do the talking listening with interest to everything that was said even by the ladies the company was enchanted they had believed all americans to be bold and rude-mannered and self-assertive this monsieur franklin who dressed like a quaker was a sage a patriarch they had never known anyone like him from then on the aristocracy gave him their adoration as did the scientific world and the common people a few days later there was a gift of two million livres not connected with the funds at hortelaise presented for the american cause in the name of the french king franklin had without resort to bullying or conniving scored his first victory in french diplomacy for fear of british retaliation Virgen dared not openly sponsor him privately he was doing all in his power to convince louis the sixteenth that the american rebellion even though against another king should be supported to the hilt this was not easy for the french ruler was not yet ready to show more than a token interest in the americans franklin understood Virgen's position and did not press him for what he had really come to get an open alliance his most important task from vergennes viewpoint was to win french public opinion to his side this he did without half trying his popularity mounted daily for the french he was a man of reason like their voltaire and an advocate of the equality of man and the virtues of rustic living like their philosopher jean-jacques rousseau they saw him as the man who had single-handedly fomented the american revolution a rumor carefully nourished by the british ambassador in paris lord stormont he was given credit for the declaration of independence and the pennsylvania constitution not knowing yet of thomas paine people took it for granted that he was the author of that marvellous pamphlet common sense which was reprinted in french with the omission of its attacks on royalty they admired him alike for his scientific achievements and for the way of wealth the proverbs of poor richard is cited by father abraham which they praised to the skies as sublime morality it became the fashion of every home to have an engraving of him above the mantel 
medallions with his image in enamel adorned the lids of snuff-boxes and tiny ones were even set in rings selling in incredible numbers in time his portrait was reproduced on watches clocks vases dishes handkerchiefs pocket-knives there were paintings of him without end and busts in marble bronze and plaster these franklin wrote to his daughter sally with the pictures busts and prints of which copies upon copies are spread everywhere have made your father's face as well known as that of the moon the first of march he moved from the paris hotel where he and his grandsons had been staying to passy a beautiful spot half a mile from paris less a village than a group of villas set amidst forests and vineyards their house was on the great estate of Leray de chaumont an ardent partisan of the united states who refused to accept rent from his distinguished guest the grounds of the chaumont estate were laid out in formal gardens around an octagonal pond with alleys of linden trees often franklin and his grandsons ate at the lavish chaumont table or had their meals sent from the chaumont kitchen for a minimum charge when he gave a large dinner-party in his own quarters everything would be sent over by the chaumont staff he had his own servants including a coachman and kept a carriage and a pair of horses benjamin bache went to boarding-school in the village coming home for sunday temple acted as his secretary the british who had spies everywhere were well aware of the reason for his presence in france vainly did british ambassador lord stormont try to belittle him or his country he could not match franklin's wit once franklin learned that stormont was spreading a rumor that four thousand americans had been lost in a battle and their general killed truth is one thing stormont is another he commented dryly in parisian slang the term to stormont became a synonym for to lie in truth with the exception of washington's victory over the hessians at trenton the christmas of seventeen seventy six news from america was discouraging franklin refused to show any sign of worry ça ira it will go on he would say to anyone who asked how the american revolution was faring in the years of france's own revolution franklin's famous ça ira became the catchword of a popular war song some time that summer or so it is said franklin passed a night at the same inn as edward gibbon author of rise and fall of the roman empire franklin sent up a note requesting the pleasure of his company gibbon answered that though he admired franklin as a philosopher he could not as a loyal english subject converse with a rebel franklin promptly sent him a second note he had the greatest respect for the historian he wrote and when gibbon decided to write the rise and fall of the british empire he would be happy to supply all the needed data the revolt in america had enormous glamour for innumerable european officers who were eager to offer their services for money for the thrill of adventure and perhaps less often because they believed in the american cause franklin was besieged with their requests for him to recommend them to the american army my perpetual torment he called them people will believe notwithstanding my continually repeated declarations to the contrary that i am sent hither to engage officers 
you have no conception how i am harassed great officers of all ranks in all departments ladies great and small besides professed solicitors worry me from morning to night i am afraid to accept an invitation to dine abroad being almost sure of meeting some officer or some officer's friend who as soon as i am put in good humour with a glass of champagne begins his attack upon me only partly in jest he composed a form letter the bearer of this who is going to america presses me to give him a letter of recommendation though i know nothing of him not even his name this may seem extraordinary but i assure you is not uncommon here sometimes indeed one unknown personage brings another equally unknown to recommend him and sometimes they recommend one another as to this gentleman i must refer you to himself for his character and merits with which he is certainly better acquainted than i can possibly be i recommend him however to those civilities which every stranger of whom one knows no harm has a right to and i request you will do him all the good offices and show him all the favour that on further acquaintance you shall find him to deserve temple later claimed that he actually used this letter on occasion though it has never been proved there was however one officer whom franklin recommended to george washington without ever having met this was the nineteen-year-old marquis de lafayette an ardent youth set on revenging a father killed by the english he is exceedingly beloved he wrote washington early in august after lafayette had already left france and everybody's good wishes attend him we cannot but hope he will meet with such a reception as will make the country and his expedition agreeable to him another valuable recruit franklin sent to america was the former prussian officer baron von steuben whose rigid training of american troops at valley forge raised morale at a moment when it had sunk to a new low in england he still had friends in high places lord rockingham was praising his courage in crossing the atlantic risking capture and being brought to an implacable tribunal charles james fox a member of lord north's cabinet was quoting to his fellow cabinet members franklin's remark that england's war on america would be as costly and useless as the crusades while to george the third he had become that insidious man from philadelphia sir john pringle now president of the royal society supported him in one of the few comic episodes of wartime during franklin's stay in england he had given advice on installing lightning rods on st paul's cathedral and other important buildings one member of the royal society benjamin wilson an artist who had painted franklin's portrait argued that blunt lightning rods would be more effective than pointed ones but he had been overruled the battle between the sharps and the flats raged briefly and then subsided it was revived when the war was under way by george the third who felt that since pointed lightning rods had been invented by a rebel they must certainly be subversive he ordered that the rods on his palace and throughout the united kingdom be replaced by the blunt type and commanded sir john pringle to back him sir john boldly retorted that the laws of nature were not changeable at royal pleasure 
he was thereupon informed that the royal authority did not believe that a man of his views should occupy the presidency of the royal society sir john loyal to franklin to the end promptly resigned as for franklin he remained an objective observer i have never entered into any controversy in defence of my philosophical opinions he wrote in october seventeen seventy seven i leave them to take their chances in the world if they are right truth and experience will support them if wrong they ought to be refuted and rejected disputes are apt to sour one's temper and disturb one's quiet in november a visitor to passy informed him that general howe had taken philadelphia congress had fled to york pennsylvania which became temporarily the capital of the united states calm and smiling franklin countered i beg your pardon sir philadelphia has taken howe inwardly he was gravely concerned his daughter and her family his home those he loved and everything he owned was in philadelphia but he could not afford to let his anxiety show he considered at this time telling vergennes that unless america could count on a french alliance they would have to make terms with england but decided the threat might boomerang and force the french to abandon them best wait until the news was better it so happened he had not long to wait on december fourth a messenger from boston arrived at passy to announce that general john burgoyne whom the british had sent to canada to lead an army to invade the colonies from the north had been defeated at saratoga beaumarchais who was present when this news came drove off to paris so recklessly that his carriage upset and his arm was broken franklin and his two commissioners promptly drew up a dispatch for vergennes two days later conrad alexandre girard of the foreign office arrived at passy with vergennes congratulations and a request that the americans renew their proposal for an alliance franklin drafted the proposal on december seventh and temple delivered it the next day on the twelfth the commissioners met secretly with vergennes franklin hoped the matter could be settled there and then but the french minister said france could not agree to an alliance without spain it took three weeks for a courier to make the trip and bring back an answer from spain it was negative temporarily negotiations were at a standstill in the meantime england had sent an envoy named paul wentworth to parley with the americans he passed himself off as a stock speculator though he was actually chief of the british espionage silas dean saw him several times wentworth told him that the british ministry was ready to return to the imperial status of before seventeen sixty three suggested a general armistice with all british troops withdrawn except those on new york islands and added insinuatingly that any americans who helped to bring about an understanding would be rewarded with wealth and titles and high administrative posts franklin knew about wentworth but refused to see him until january sixth a week after the news of spain's rejection of the alliance that day he conferred two hours with wentworth devoting the whole time to a recital of england's crimes against america 
after that he and wentworth had dinner with silas dean and his assistant edward bancroft who was also an english spy the results of this dinner were exactly what franklin anticipated it was duly reported to Virginie, who could only judge that negotiations for a reconciliation between england and america were under way which was the last thing in the world he wanted the very next day the french king's council voted formally on a treaty and an alliance with the united states of america the signing of the treaty took place on friday february seventh seventeen seventy eight at the office of the ministry for foreign affairs in the hotel de lautrec paris for this all-important occasion franklin donned an old costume somewhat old-fashioned and rather too tight for him of figured manchester velvet someone asked him why to get it a little revenge franklin said i wore this coat on the day wedderburn abused me the ceremony was simple gerard signed first then franklin after which arthur lee and silas dean added their names a magnificent diplomatic campaign had been won on march twentieth louis the sixteenth avowed the treaty by receiving the three commissioners in his private quarters at versailles franklin wore a brown velvet suit white hose and carried a white hat under his arm he had neither wig nor sword and his spectacles were on his nose the courtiers claimed they had never seen anything so striking as this republican simplicity to the commissioners the king said firmly assure congress of my friendship i hope that this will be for the good of the two nations franklin responded for his fellow envoys your majesty may count on the gratitude of congress and its faithful observance of the pledges it now takes that evening Virgenne gave a great dinner in their honor at versailles later they made a call on the royal family the charming and beautiful marie antoinette who was at her gambling table insisted that franklin stand by her and talk to him in between making her bids at exceedingly high stakes it was certainly the first time in history that the son of an american candle-maker kept company with a queen End of chapter fourteen